Before I pray, would you stand as we read God's word together? This is Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we enter this time. Father, we pray today that as we come before you that you would meet us here with your word. You say your word does not return void. Lord, we know your word is not dependent upon the preacher. Though you use the preacher, it's dependent upon your spirit to make it come alive in our hearts. And so we pray today that you would bring uh, conviction, you would bring uh, joy, you would bring healing and comfort where needed. God, you would bring life and vitality through the pages of Scripture as they're opened and proclaimed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we made it. Uh, last, uh, last week of Ephesians. We've been at this for a minute. Um, for those that don't know, we started Ephesians prior to joining together the two churches back in the spring. Um, and then we took a little break uh, for about a month where we joined together. We looked at First, uh, first Corinthians, the first couple chapters of First Corinthians, to talk about this idea of unity and what, that's, what it's like coming together. We've done a few uh, individual sermons along the way, uh, this summer and different guests. Um, but now we are, we are finally at the end of Ephesians. I hope it's been good for you. It has certainly been good for me and challenging um, as I've studied it and Ryan studied it and others uh, that have preached as well. Um, next week, we'll preach a specific sermon, uh, Falling Up the Women's Retreat. So that's next week. Be in prayer for that and for them. And then that, that uh, Sunday, we'll, we'll, we'll speak about Hebrews, uh, which is their, their focus and their time. And then the following that, we'll start a, a small series in the Old Testament on the book of Jonah. If anybody studied the book of Jonah before, it's a great, it's a great book. It's not just about a big fish, uh, although it is about that, but it's about so much more. So I think you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy that time together um, as we get there. But as we conclude Ephesians, um, these are the final greetings Paul has for the church at Ephesus. And I, I like, I really enjoy preaching these, the introductory remarks and the closing comments because it teaches us something about the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy says that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable or useful for teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness. All of scripture, including these final comments at the end of a book, which to us might seem obscure or unimportant. If we, um, you know, if you buy the little books at the, the gift stores or, you know, in the airport, the 25 Bible promise verses, this, the, this verse is not going to be in there. You know, or, or give the little, give the graduate, you know, your Bible, your 50 Bible verses for college. Uh, Ephesians 6, 21 to 24 is not going to be in there. If you, uh, if you do the thing for your devotional life where you close your eyes and you flip around and you put your finger there and you happen to land on this verse, you're going to do it again. You're going to close it and feel like, I want something better than that. Let's, oh, I'm in Romans 8. Great. Right? Um, we don't typically, uh, fall, you know, we don't typically look for these type of verses, these final words to find 
impact her life, but all Scripture is God-breathed, which means it's not random. It's not just some verses. It's God's Word to us, purposed in the context, in a flow. If you take out a piece of the, of the, of the continuous flow and narrative, we miss something, we lose something. So that's, that's important for us to know. It's a part of the greater narrative. Today I want us to do two things, uh, or, or a couple things. I want us to see first... Uh, what Paul has to teach us about ministry. There's a couple of ministry principles. And immediately when I say ministry, you might be tempted to think, okay, well, why are we listening? We're, I'm not a minister. I'm a, a lawyer. I'm a CPA. I'm a teacher. When I'm talking about ministry, I'm talking about the ministry of the church. Ephesians taught us a few, few months ago that the, the job, one of the jobs of the pastors is not to do ministry, but it's to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. So part of here at the end is a mindset that all of us are doing ministry. So we're going to look at a couple principles of ministry, and then at the very end we're going to kind of summarize some thoughts from the book as we looked at it these past six months or so, a few things to take away. Okay? So ministry. What do we learn from Paul about ministry? First thing I want you to see is ministry is relational. Relational. Look at verse 21. Paul says this, after the whole spiritual warfare, praying, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's in chains in Rome. He hasn't been back to Ephesians after his three-year stay, getting the church started. He's away, but he's not away alone. Tychicus is a co-laborer with him. He's with Paul, and Paul's going to send him to Ephesians to tell them how he's doing. Paul is laboring. Paul is always serving with others, though he travels from place to place. If you read the beginning of these letters and the end of these letters, he's always mentioning names, right? Timothy, Titus, Silvanus. Uh, he, he mentions Aquila and Priscilla. He mentions Onesimus, Luke, John Mark, Silas, Barnabas, Apollos, Jason of Thessalonica, throughout, Paul is, he's name dropping to tell us that ministry is not just the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle to the Gentiles, saving the world. He's saying, yeah, the three of us were here and it was difficult. Please pray for him. He's over there ministering. I hope to send so-and-so to you. I received word back from so-and-so. Thank you. It's ministry is relational. We do this Together, notice his language for Tychicus. He calls him a beloved brother. It's heartfelt. He says he's a faithful minister in the Lord. And in Colossians, he says he's a faithful servant. Um, you know, we have uh, this category of like Christian celebrity, you know, celebrity pastors, which is really kind of an oxymoron. It's, it's not a biblical category, um, it's not how it works. Paul is not a lone ranger, sort of, you know, tip of the spear, he's the man. Paul is constantly doing ministry with other people. Ministry is relational. Matt just talked about ministry teams. It's relational. We do it together. We're in it together. And we do it not just uh, as partners, like we would partners in a business maybe, where we just check the box and do what we have to do. We do it with a sense of affection. We do it with love for one another. One of our, the elders, we talk often, uh, 
One of our good friends has encouraged us that elders are to do ministry. We're to do our meeting the way elders are meant to do ministry. How is that? It's relational. It's with love. It's with shepherding. It's with time. It's with patience. We're not just doing it. We're doing it together. We're doing it in love. Furthermore, Paul states that his purpose for ministry is also relational. He explicitly states it. Don't you like when it does that? Sometimes they say, for this purpose I've given you. Like it take, We get to take our brains out of it. Okay, he just told us why he did it. Sometimes we get that in books of the Bible, like the Gospel of John. So that you will, I've written this book. He does that here. I said, Tychicus, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Interesting. Paul, all the theology, all the doctrine, all the uh, ethical implications, and Paul says, I'm over here, you're over there, I can't get to you, so I'm going to send Tychicus so he can tell you how I'm doing. It's relational, right? How's it going? I'm, he's going to tell you, I can't write it all in a book, I've got a, a, few, a few chapters, but he's going to tell you how the ups, he's going to tell you the downs, he's going to tell you the struggles, our ministry highlights, he's going to tell you where things are going. Why does he do this? Because Paul's heart is deeply tied to the Ephesians. This shows Paul's humanity. That you may know how we are. He sends the comrade in the gospel. But it's not just Paul wants to say, hey, I want you all to hear about my life. No, that's true. And I can't get there. But he says, I want to hear about yours. I want to encourage your hearts. In ministry, we together, as we're on teams, as we're serving, we're called to encourage one another. Not just teach. Paul doesn't just teach them, but he uplifts them. He does instruct them. He gives them doctrine, but he uplifts them. One of the scandals of Christianity um, in the world is that Christianity is local, Right? I mean, isn't that, that's one of the questions for those outside the faith. They say, how can an event right in Palestine 2,000 years ago in one place in one time from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, goes to Jerusalem, visits this place, Sea of Galilee, Peter and John, particular people. How can one place and one purpose or one place and one man impact the whole world, right? That's, that's the scandal. It seems too small. It's too abstract. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? These small places. Nothing good comes out of, I don't know, backwoods Alabama, right? That's the, that's the scandal of it. And yet, through that one place, one local place comes blessing to the world. So too, we don't save the world, but our big vision of kingdom building and what God is doing comes through particular people in particular places. In local places like here, like elderly men and small children and young married couples and, right, single people. It's particular. It's relational. It's specific, real people in real places. And so when we tempted to think what I'm doing in the church is insignificant, that's the way ministry's always worked. It's always seemed small, it's always seemed ordinary, it's always seemed insignificant, and yet the ordinary, insignificant, small things is how the kingdom of God is built. It's always been built that way. 
We look at culture and we think, how did our culture get here? This, this terrible shift and all these things happened and we want to pinpoint one event. It was the Enlightenment. Or no, it was, it was this event or this, this moment. No, how did it get there? Sort of slowly, gradual, chipping away, right? The core of what we believe, the core of our faith, our ethical commitments, understanding of Scripture. How, how is it? How is the ship turned? Is it some big, great thing and huge revival? God can do that. God's done that. Small, ordinary, everyday relationships with real people serving together with a sense of love, a sense of affection with one another. We can't do ministry as a project or a task or a performance. We can't do ministry, whether paid or unpaid, for validation. I've told you the story of uh, one of my favorite preachers, Ray Cortez, who says when he was in ministry for so long, he saw his pulpit ministry as, he said, I had 45 minutes every Sunday to, to validate my existence. <laughs> he wasn't doing ministry to love other people. He was doing ministry to feel good about himself, that he did a great job, he performed well, everyone liked him, it was great, right? You do that in your world, right? You do your job sometimes to validate your existence. At the core of what we're doing in the church and building the kingdom is relational. It's got to be that. I was meeting with a guy at another church. I've shared this with you before. And um, uh, I knew he was a smart guy. I met with him a couple times. But uh, as I was talking to him, he told me he had been in seminary for a while. And I was a little shocked because I didn't think he had a kind of heart to be in vocational ministry. And I said, well, tell me what happened. And he said, yeah, I got through about halfway and he said, uh, I love to study, I love to learn, I love to read, I even love doing the papers and the projects, but I don't, I don't really love people. <laughs> I didn't want to pastor people. I didn't want to actually, uh, the studying's fine, but you have to, have to interact. I didn't want to be a pastor, and I realized this is what it is. And I, I really appreciated his honesty that he came to the realization that uh, you can know all these things, you can study all this stuff, you can do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, ministry is what? It's about Real people in real places and their weakness and their struggle and their brokenness and their messiness with real names. That's what it's about. The last two verses of this passage, he, he speaks about love three times. He speaks about love with faith, love from the, the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord with a love incorruptible. Isn't that interesting? All the theology, all the doctrine Paul's done, all the teaching, he ends with love, 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 three times. The core, Ephesians, he says, the core of Christ Redeemer Church, of what you're doing, of your task, as you engage in the world and this mission, it's a task of loving and serving, loving God and loving people. Paul models that. First principle, ministry is relational. Second principle, ministry is a call to bless. A call to bless. Um, verse 23, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Something I love to do every week at the very end is to do the benediction. Uh, and the benediction is it's, a, it's, it's twofold. The benediction is a blessing upon the congregation and a sending. 
Right? That's why some people put their hands out. You don't have to do that. But they do that because they're, they're saying, I'm receiving the blessing. In this case, it comes through the minister to you. It's, it's God's word blessing you. And you receive it. And then you get, you're sent out. We're gathered. We're blessed. And then we're scattered into the world. But the blessing part is not just called for the minister. It's actually called for each of you. When you're scattered into the world... As ministers, whatever your vocation is, you're called to bless. Did you know that? That's a churchy word. You know, bless your heart. I don't mean it quite in that way. But you're called to bless. You're called to do your work with dignity and integrity and honor to serve other people for their good. Whether that's serving a client or that's serving a toddler, you're called to bless. Do you remember Israel? When they were constituted in Exodus, they were constituted as a nation. They're given the law, and they're told this. You are to be, Israel, a kingdom of priests. The kingdom, what, what's the priest do? The priest is to bless, right? Up here, blessing, go, be blessed. The whole nation of Israel, not just the Levites, not just the priesthood of Aaron, but the whole nation were to be priests that they would bless the pagan nations around that they would see and be blessed. And so too is the church. We are a kingdom of priests. Blessed by God. We hear the word of God. We receive it. We go. And we go to bless. Paul prays specifically that they would be blessed with an increased experience of peace. Don't we need that? Of love. Of faith. And of grace, in the, in, the, in the context, both the key words are peace and grace. Peace and grace, or grace and peace. Paul says this, almost every greeting and almost everything, grace and peace, grace and peace. Verse 1 of Ephesians, he began it. Paul, an apostle of Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus, that's the Christians, grace to you and peace. It is the core of his theology. Grace. And peace. It's not something just preached, it's something prayed. He said it, he's taught us in the book, right? Ephesians 2 For by grace you've been saved, we've been saved by grace. And now he's going to pray grace to you. May God's grace, may you know the healing, freeing grace. He, Ephesians chapter 2 the, the, the Jew, Gentile, there's hostility, there's disunity. The wall, would, would the wall come down and there'd be peace? He's taught us peace, and then he says, peace be with you. Peace, grace, and peace. Uh, there's a church in St. Louis, a PCA church that we visited. It wasn't really close to our house, but we heard good things, and we went to it and visited it, and it was, it was called Grace and Peace. What do you think the church was like? It was warm. It was inviting. You could be yourself. You could come. You could know your... You're broken, you're, 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 you're struggling, you're, maybe, maybe things are well, maybe things are not, but you could come and it was grace and peace. That is, the, that is the core of Pauline doctrine, grace of God, not our own salvation, not our own works, his grace to us. And what does that bring to the core of our being, despite our circumstances, despite the challenges, it brings a peace, peace. And we don't, and so let, let's do what Paul does. We don't just teach it to one another, say it to one another, but then we actually pray it for one another. We actually bless one another. You know, you can do that too, not just the minister. You can do that. 
You know, it's, it's always funny when, you know, being a pastor at a family event or particularly Katie's family, it's prayer time, you know. It's like, okay, where's the pastor at, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm back there watching the game or something or at barbecue, you know. Okay, let me conjure up some fa- fabulous words. No, right? We're, we're called to bless. I, I, I'm fine with that role. That's great. But each of us, bless. You know, when, when people visit your home and have a meal, hospitality, I know you pray, you probably pray for a meal, bless them. Your people leave on a trip or they're passing, they come see you. Pray a blessing over them. God bless them. Be with them. Would they know your grace and peace? He says, love. Would they know that? Do, do you, let me ask you this. Do you see yourself in that way? Do you, do you see your role in the world as that? Last week, Paul says he was an ambassador. So he's representing Christ to the people. But Paul's not unique in that. Remember 2 Corinthians, we're all Christ ambassadors. Do you see your role as that? Whether it's your kids or whether it's your people you work with or your people on your street, that we actually are to be a people that as we encounter others, it doesn't have to be super spiritual language. You don't have to come up with a seminary degree or use some fancy words. But our lives, our lives are meant to be a blessing to others. Paul's taught us and then he blesses us. He blesses the Ephesians and by extension through his word to us. So too are we. So that's it, ministry. Ministry is relational. All that we do is building connections and relationships. And ministry for, for, for clergy and for laypersons is to be a call to bless those we have around us. Final thought, I just want to conclude our, our book here. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I, I hope it's been good for you. All, obviously, all scripture is from the Lord, and hopefully it's beneficial. But it's really challenged me in some ways. Um, I don't think we can say this is the one theme of Ephesians, you know. Um, it's funny, you see commentaries, and they're like, this is the one theme, and this is the one theme, another commentary says, and then you get three in a row. But like, forget all the people that say that there's one theme. You know, there's, there's a bunch of themes Think about what we've talked about. Do you remember chapter one, the great and glorious God? Blessed, uh, the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, redeemed in him. The Holy Spirit has sealed us for our inheritance. So Father, Son, and Spirit, God has gone to, to, to spare no links to save us the whole Godhead is involved in our pursuit and our love to secure salvation, past, present, future. Christ is exalted. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We had no chance, no hope, but God being rich in mercy, right, made us alive together with Christ by grace. We've been saved. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit We've talked about a new identity in Christ. We, we're no longer defined by the old man. You can't put me in that, that category anymore. We're new creations in Christ. We're new identities. And we battle, he says, remember there's a, there's a battle not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. We've talked about that the last few weeks. There's this constant force. There's oppression. We know we have the world, the flesh, and the devil pushing on us, naming us, but we have a new identity. It's in Christ. We stand in him, redeemed 
We have ethical obligations. We talked about husbands and wives and employees and employers. We talked about the nature of the church, the mission of the church. There's been one united church come together. There's a lot in there. You want a good theology deep dive, Ephesians is a good place. But we started, we, we titled the sermon series, The Cosmic Christ and the Conquering Church. There, there. Man. You're so good at that. Just put it up there as soon as I said it. Wow. Um, so you should serve. You can have skills like that. That's pretty amazing. Um, cosmic Christ conquering church. You know, think that's just some kind of preacher, like alliteration thing, like four C's or whatever. And okay, it's that. But, but it's, uh, as I've read this book and reread this book, and re- it's pretty close. Think, think with me here as we finish. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's been at Ephesus this great metropolitan city, diverse, uh, not God-fearing. There's all kind of pagan gods. There's all kind of things to worship. There's all kind of, uh, you remember the Acts tells us about the, the, the magician and the, and the witchcraft that's going on in Ephesus. This is a, a big metropolitan, booming, diverse city with a smaller group of Christians that are forming the church at Ephesus. And Paul's been there. He labored. He helped plan it. It was, it was founded. And now he's in jail in Rome awaiting who knows what. And Paul's there, what's he going to write him? (laughs) I'm not heading the sand. I know your circumstances. I know what you're going through. Let me tell you my circumstances. I'm I'm in chains, he says. And yet Christ is high and exalted. And salvation is secure. It has been purchased. It has been sealed. He says this, Ephesians 1. As he's praying for the saints, he's praying for the church at Ephesus, he's praying for us. The pray, verse 19, chapter 1, that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Where is he seated? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul, you're in a Roman prison. You're waiting execution. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Christ is victorious. Satan is his footstool. And now he gives, Christ gives all things, all power, all authority to us the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What an incredible vision. Paul tells this little struggling group in Ephesus, or this little small bunch of ragtag folks in Mobile <laughs> planting a church. Christ is high. He's exalted. And then he gives this This great salvation, this great gospel, he hands it to us, the church. And Paul's not naive. He knows the effects of sin. I mean, we we bear it in our bodies. We bear it in our relationships. We bear it in our struggles. Paul knows that sin has wreaked havoc. He knows that Satan is still flailing. It's like the the toddler that's throwing a fit, you know, and the parent grabs him to get out of the store, and he's kicking and screaming. And, you know, the parent's strong enough. You're going to get him out, but he's, he's not going down without a fight. It's going to be messy. You know? You know, that's the church in the world. We are victorious in Christ. 
The light will overcome the darkness. We've been given the message of reconciliation to the world. We will win. It is ours in Christ, but the evil one is doing all he can, right? He's kicking. He's screaming. And yet we have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have the people of God. We have the armor of God. That we don't have to pull back in fear. We don't have to cloister ourselves. Just protect from the world. It's going to hurt us. It's out to get us. We stand in Christ. We stand victorious because he owns and rules all things. And then we're sent out into the world, into the darkness, to combat the darkness, but not as the world combats We go with the gospel. What's the gospel do? It subverts the systems of the world. It undercuts. It's through love. It's through forgiveness. It's through grace. It's through peace. It's through mercy. And the world's undone because how can this group of Christians we've been trying to put down and destroy for century to century, from empire to empire, why does it keep growing and thriving the Spirit of God is in us, and so we conquer in Christ. Christ is Lord of all. We are his people. Let us live in the victory of Christ in the face of darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is life. It does we cannot do. It changes hearts. It changes our hearts. It convicts our hearts. It brings life to us. But God, in your word, you empower us. You empower us to face the difficulties and the trials that we encounter individually, but also as a people, as a, as a body, as a, as a local church. In ourselves, we, we run and hide. We're so afraid. There's so many pressures. Some of us just trying to make it. We're not trying to be victorious. We're just trying to survive next day, make it to Friday. God, you've given us more. You've given us your son who has conquered. And he rules and reigns over the evil one, even in the midst of the darkness around us. Oh, God, may we have the courage and the boldness to live into the conquering church that you've called us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name.